0: all right, we are here for a Leicester update, joined, of course, by the fantastic Jim Knight, who you can find on Twitter at JimKnight88, he is also head of content marketing for DAZN. Uh, Jim, a pleasure having you on, and I'm sure you're in a pretty good mood considering some of your recent deals um, you've added to your young core by bringing in both Ioza Perez and Yuri T. and a third guy who I'm less familiar with, but um, <laughs> we will start off with Ioza Perez who came from Newcastle just days after Rafa Benitez departed Newcastle as well. Seems like they were willing to kind of ship some of those guys that Benitez had held in high regard. And Jake, in particular, thought Perez would be one of the ones uh, first out the door. And that does indeed become the case. You bring him in for what is either a club record or not a club record, depending on uh, which sites you look at. Uh, Just how excited were you by the signing of Ayose Perez?
1: Yeah, I think um, because he is a Premier League player already, I think maybe a lot of our fan base were pretty underwhelmed, particularly when the fee emerged to be like £30 million. I think a lot of people thought that was potentially a lot of money. Um, But, you know, in the current transfer market, it's very difficult to find a player that's already in the Premier League and get them for less than that. That £30 million benchmark seems to be exactly that, a benchmark for players of, a, of the required quality um, to move between Premier League clubs. Like we've seen a few deals recently that people have raised their eyebrows out fee-wise. Tyrone Mings springs to mind in that same ballpark figure. Um, I, I was pretty happy to be honest with the, the Perez um, signing. Not only because um i think he has already demonstrated that he's a capable premier league player so i think the risk is is pretty low um he's got a high floor um i think you know in in american terminology i don't think his performances are going to be uh hit very hit or miss in terms of the long term because we know he can do it i think it's more just consistency um for him he has never been the most prolific player um, and obviously, when you are classed as a kind of striker forward, that's a, the first stat that people are going to look at. But I think he probably brings a lot more to um, to the team than just goals. He, he had his best season uh, to date last year, and that was that was twelve goals. So I think based on the amount of money Leicester have wasted on um, very very poor strikers, uh, the likes of Soleimani and Musa and Inacho, who've never really done anything kind of noteworthy for significant fees. Um, if Perez could get double figures um, in terms of the goals con, he would probably be seen as a success. Um, if he could match his goal tally from last year, you know, I think that would be a suitable first return. Um, I think also the second the second part of, of why I was quite happy with him is that he's he's quite a versatile player, and um, obviously Leicester do have an abundance of wingers, but to sign a wide player that could potentially operate as a second striker as well, um, or in that kind of number ten. Role um, that James Madison has traditionally been in, uh, when required, is is quite interesting, and I think that maybe has been uh, kind of overlooked, and uh, potentially it's it's part of the reason that the Leicester staff are so interested in it because it really does fit to. Um, to needed positions in terms of Leicester's squad at the moment, we've really struggled to find a second striker to play alongside Vardy with any kind of effectiveness whatsoever. Now, some of that is because we've preferred a, a 4-2-3-1 formation where a second striker isn't always required, but also we've we've spent a lot of time and resources looking for a player that can contribute, and, uh, and we've not had anyone contribute double figures in, as a second striker for, for a few seasons now. Um, so I think, you know, Perez is a, is a solid signing. Um, it's not going to be the one fans get most excited about, partly because we signed that guy a few days later. Um, but it does mean that, you know, it's more quality and depth and he fits the kind of age range that Brendan Rodgers um, and Claude Puel before him uh, look to bring in, uh, in terms of cementing that youthful kind of approach um, and building around that core of, of young, uh, young talent that Leicester have already got in the team.
0: Yeah, he certainly does seem to fit that. And I think the versatility is a really interesting point because I'm curious as to where you think he will be playing and if you want to take a rough guess at how many minutes he'd get this year. Uh, to my mind, I, well, obviously he played on the right for the majority of last season for um, Newcastle. So in theory, my my thought immediately led, led to Damari Gray that maybe he, he'd continue to struggle yeah. for minutes. Uh, but also Ihan Nacho th- has struggled in, in attack as well and could pot- potentially be kind of supplemented by him as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think maybe the primary focus will be, you know, assuming uh, this is on the assumption that a four-two-three-one will continue to be the the go-to um, formation because I think that's where we've we've looked at our most effective um, in the in the last kind of eighteen months, two years, when we've been playing a four-two-three-one. We moved away from the four-four-two. Uh, that was operated um by Nigel Pearson and uh the f- you know the first part of the um, the most successful the first part of the Claudio Ranieri reign. Um, we very much won the Premier League playing a standard 4-4-2, but the, the team has evolved now in such a way that the, the, the over-reliance on the wide players means that a 4-2-3-1 is more effective, um, particularly if you've got someone like James Madison in the number 10 role. So I would fear for Damari Gray's prospects long term, based on you know Perez coming in uh, and being a player that uh, operates in that same realm. But also, I, I can see him being deployed as a second striker at some point I think the vast majority of his minutes will come on the right and also Rashi Gazelle as well hasn't really done much um, and it was kind of him and Damari Gray uh, fighting for a starting spot on the wing position And I know all wingers are, uh, are interchangeable sometimes we have Albrighton on the left and sometimes he switches during the game to the right and Damari Gray would would go the other way but um, I think, yeah, if I was Rashi Gazelle or, or Damari Gray, I'd be nervously looking over my shoulder in training, thinking this this new signing is gunning for my position, uh, primarily. Um, but mostly, I think that's where his minutes will come. I, I see him as a starter, to be honest. I think the amount of money that we paid on him, we, we're unlikely to do that for a proven Premier League player, to see him as just a kind of squad rotation guy. Uh, also, I think, valued Demary Gray or Rashi because of that highly, we probably wouldn't have made the move in the first place. Um, so I do think he'll be a, a kind of first team regular. Um It's also nice to know that instead of going to someone like Shinji Okazaki, who, with all the love in the world, is is not the ideal second striker to go to. And that was essentially the the position that we were in last season. We had an abundance of wingers. So very often we'd start the the game with two wingers, uh, as you normally would, and then finish the game with four wingers, two of which were playing out of position, because we didn't have a second striker to go to that was effective. Um, And like I say, Shinji Okazaki is part of the title winning team. He was a, a brilliant player. Uh, scored from some very important goals for us, but since he and Leonardo Joa kind of moved away from the club, we've never really found that second striker option. So if Perez can fit that that mould nicely um, without having to necessarily uh, change things too much, you could make a substitution, take off a more defensive-minded player, throw on another winger, and then move Perez into the, the second striker position um, that James Madison has sometimes occupied. Then I think it's yeah, it's a handy um, it's a handy addition to have. Uh, but I'd certainly kind of uh, imagine he would be a starter, um, and I think it it may leave Gray and Gazelle kind of feeding off scraps a little bit, um, certainly in the early part of the season.
0: Mm. Do you you think closer to 2,000 or 3,000 minutes?
1: I mean, I would probably split the difference there and say probably i put him at around Mm.
0: 2.5
1: for a season, Uh, mostly because I think... um, there will be kind of... He, he he strikes me as the type of player who, if it isn't going for him, he might well be withdrawn. So I don't know whether he'll start and finish that many games. Mm-hmm. Mostly because we do have so many options off the bench for his position. So it's very, very difficult, unless he's having a brilliant game, to leave him on the field if you are strong. Um, you know, like Vardy is the complete opposite. For example, you very rarely go to take Vardy off the field because he's your number one first name on the team sheet situation. And it's unlikely that he... Uh, would be withdrawn in, in for the sake of someone else, unless we go on to buy someone you know, um, who, who could be a, a tall, rangy striker off the bench, a more kind of Leonardo Rugeot, a plan B type. Um, but because of the sheer, what we found a lot of the, the time last year was that the wingers were the, the players that were substituted. So often you'd start with someone like Mark Albrighton, for example, and Tabari Gray. And then if things weren't going our way, there might be someone like Rashi Gazelle and then Harvey Barnes obviously progressed through the season and I was obviously really highly thought of as well. So there's plenty of competition for places in those wide, uh, positions. Um, obviously we still have a month to go until the transfer window closes, so if there's an offer comes in for someone like Damari Gray, I don't know whether he would be uh, considered as a tail prospect. I know Bournemouth are very interested in him Um, I think it was a year or 18 months ago. um, We turned down a couple of bids in the £20 million region Uh, and obviously they've gone on to sign a few players um, that fit that mould so I don't know whether they're still in in the market for him or whether we see him as a squad player and we don't want to sell him, but yeah, i I can't see Perez being signed for 30 million to sit on the bench given he's a proven Premier League player with way more consistency than anybody else that we've got to offer in that position it just seems a bit backwards to me to to spend that kind of money on a, a player if you don't see him as a starter um mm-hmm. kind of from the word go fitness um obviously notwithstanding
0: yeah makes sense then you further bolster the squad by bringing back uh, Yuri Telemans who of course was there on loan since January um <coughs> as soon as the season ended, I would not have expected him to go back, expected the market to to really start to accelerate on him. And then it just kind of didn't, Um, not to imply that you couldn't have gotten Mm. him in that situation, but that situation just didn't occur. Um, So then you're able to to snatch him up. Um, I understand there's also a story about Manchester United involved.
1: Yeah, so um, I will happily admit that I wasn't sure that we'd be able to get him back. I thought we'd be in the market for him, but I also thought, Leicester bidding, say, £40 which is the asking price um, that we were quoted, would fire the starting pistol on a race that would include the likes of Tottenham, Manchester United, and maybe a few other clubs from around the continent as well, because of the quality that he demonstrated when he um, was on loan for the six-month period. Um, I think it's fair to say he's one of the best technical players that I've seen um, at Leicester. Um, He brings a lot of much-needed creativity um and kind of assists he contributed with a few goals as well which is obviously always welcome from um, that kind of deep lying um playmaker role um, and i think he he also frees uh james madison up um tremendously who's playing in that number 10 role a lot of the time and um, so i think that's a really exciting spine of the team if you look through it both in terms of age and um and potential output as well um i believe that well the story t- today that's imagined this is kind of widely reported so I, th- I think it's fairly trustworthy was that Tielemans agent um was keen for him to put off signing for Leicester until the Paul Pogba situation at Manchester United had reached a conclusion because he believed that Telemans would be one of the players that Manchester United would look to as a, a potential replacement if Pogba was kind of moved on um I can completely believe that and I very much looked at Tielemans, who's was, who was 21, and said, this guy could easily be a Champions League player um, based on what we saw. And it wasn't just a, a small body of work. You know, He was a regular for, from the moment he signed with us uh, on loan in January. So uh, we thought it was going to be a nice little um, honeymoon period. But we thought essentially it was going to come to an end when he went back to Monaco because they'd be keen to cash in on him uh, and they'd be kind of inundated with offers. And he'd end up taking more money and more stature to go elsewhere. Um, obviously, that he's returned to Leicester, which is you know fantastic for us, and I think there's there's a real. It's not very often it happens. The last time it happened, it was um, Esteban Cambiaso, I think, when we brought him in. Mm. Um, a completely different player, obviously, but he was at the at the time was a um, he was a real kind of coup for, for Leicester, and it was the type of player that Leicester fans didn't think would be possible. Um, So I think, you know, Telemans has that air about him in the sense that we know what he can do. We've seen him and the the fan base immediately fell in love with him last year. Um, I mean, it's difficult not to. He he seems such a a kind of likable character. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he, you know, he put in a series of match-winning performances for us towards the second half of the season. Um, You know, particularly once Brendan Rodgers came in and kind of revitalised the entire squad, he seemed to kind of really kick on and grow into that role. And potentially, I guess that's the main reason that he's come back. He obviously likes the the City, uh, the team, uh, and has got to know a, a few members of the squad. And I guess, you know, he sees that as a legitimate um, next step for his career. Am I thinking that he'll be a Leicester player in two and a half years' time? Probably not. He's another one similar to Harry Maguire, who I guess we might talk about later. But he, you know, you could easily see him playing for Champions League club that wasn't Leicester in two years' time because I think for £40 million, teams will be looking at him in the £80 million region in a couple of years uh, because he's that good. Um, it's great for us, obviously, in the short term because it allows us another springboard, hopefully, to, to climb the table even further. Uh, and I think Leicester fans are realistic about that. I don't think there's, there's anyone expecting him to be you know retiring at Leicester in 12 or 13 years' time uh, once he's finished his playing career. But we're happy to be the next step in his career as he looks to get it back on track I'm not really sure what Monaco was seeing that they, they didn't want him to be honest I've watched a few of their games uh, both domestically and in Europe last year uh, and they, I know they had a tumultuous time with with three coaches uh, two of which were the same person inside a calendar year so that's not ideal but I can't imagine that they've got that many better central midfielders than him um, I think maybe it was just a, a kind of bridge that had already been burned and so he's already looking to to move on um, but yeah, he's he's a fantastic signing, really exciting, and I think he will be kind of the one that fans look to as a, as a real sign of intent uh, from Brendan rogers and the club this season because he is one of those kind of dream signings, I guess, that people thought wouldn't happen. It's come off, and I think it just shows Leicester's ability a to pay good money because I'm sure he's he's making mm. a fair bit, um, but also. Um, our ambition as a club and hopefully he's been sold on the project as a whole i hate that word when it comes to football for a project <laughs> but you know hopefully the the next two or three year plan under brendan rogers um again who's a managerial version of telemans potentially you know looking to use leicester as a bit of a springboard towards a a, a real kind of top tier premium job but again if that means that he's taken us to the top six you know and, and into europe again and, and proved our worth from there then so be it. You know, I don't think anyone at Leicester expects expecting to win the league again, but we're just looking for a return to those real consistent performances that allowed us to, to kind of spring that huge shock back in 2016. And, you know, hopefully this is, this is as good a chance as we're going to get based on the, uh, the kind of early moves.
0: Yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. Yeah, it was an excellent signing, and you did touch on the club's comfortability with bringing Telemans back after his loan, considering how he performed. Do you think that that also played a role in the player's decision himself, uh, his familiarity with the club and the manager, and what his role would be?
1: And I mean, it certainly—I don't think it can be um, dismissed as, as a huge factor because you know the story again. The story goes that part of the reason that he wasn't as keen on waiting for Manchester United was that that project is very much in the. Um, kind of it's in a bit of a difficult phase at the moment um so they've obviously got Oli Gunnar Solskjaer who went in lit the place up won you know had the best start in Manchester United managerial history to start um his his role there got the job permanently and then the form key kind of players wanting to leave um obviously they've got Alexis Sanchez there just draining the club of 500,000 pounds a week you've got Paul Pogba who wants to out out. It doesn't seem like a usually happy camp. Uh, they're looking to bring in reinforcements, which is understandable because they need them. And um, otherwise, they definitely won't be finishing in the, in the top four, let alone um, you know competing for the, the title next season. But it, I think the stability, relative stability, because Leicester's never been that stable. You know, we've gone through our fair share of managers. It's not like we, we, we've had one manager for the last ten years and just consistently built on that. But I think certainly the club and the playing style suits him as well. Um, you know he's not going to be asked to play defensive style of football. He can do the the, the difficult defensive work, which I think is part of what makes the fans love him so much. Um, but he, he, you know, he obviously enjoyed his time last year. I think you could see that on the pitch. You know, he was allowed to express himself and given a a kind of pivotal role through the centre of that team. And he he came up trumps as well. He's provided plenty of assists. He got a few goals. Um, and you know, he's a really really classy player and adds that touch of flair alongside Wilfred and Diddy, he kind of does the the destroyer role. Um, picking up the pieces, you know, the slide tap, he'll take the cheap bookings if he needs to um, and then allow Tielemans to to recycle the ball and kind of make the best of, uh, of the situation going forward. So yeah, I'm sure that played a huge role uh, the club are also kind of on the up in terms of the infrastructure as well. So there's a talk of a stadium expansion coming in the next couple of years, which would be huge. Um, and there's a new training ground um, that's being built kind of outside the city, um, which is a huge upgrade on the current situation. So hopefully he's been as it, as impressed with the infrastructure of the club um, and what's going to come in the next two to three years as he is with the the playing staff and the squad and the coaching that's, that's gone on. Uh, but yeah, we, we, I think most Leicester fans are just delighted to have him back. I've not, like I said, I've not seen the reaction to to a signing since Cambiasso uh, like this. So hopefully his spell goes as well as Cambiasso's, but is a little bit longer because he was a, a one season wonder uh, and called it a day. So fingers crossed, Euro's with us for a bit longer than twelve months.
0: Yeah, and I would certainly expect him to be there longer than that. Um you mentioned McGuire a little bit earlier. He's kind of the biggest name of potential outgoings. Um, we kind of talked in the pre-show that, you know, if somebody comes in with 80 million, you're you're willing to take that and just kind of move on to that position. Do you think that will happen? Do you think the market will build or do you think like Maras uh, a couple summers ago that maybe the market starts uh, uh, just maybe 10 million short of what you're expecting and then never grows from there?
1: Yeah, I think um, if the negotiations reach um, that £80 million threshold, which obviously would make require the um, world's most expensive defender replacing Virgil van Dijk, then I think the club would probably look to sell. I'm not sure they're willing to dig their heels in quite like they were with Mahrez um, uh, the season that they did because I just think they know that the market is there to get top dollar for him and as much as he is a brilliant Uh, player and we've seen the best of him uh, both domestically and for England in the last kind of 18 months two years he I'm not sure he's worth in the nicest possible way I'm not sure he's worth £80 million so I think to to get £80 million for him would be kind of good value as a selling club and particularly if it's Manchester United buying him because goodness knows what's going to happen there. Um, over the next kind of 18 months. So I'm not convinced Solskjaer's going to be a long-term choice for them. I think he could be sacked in the next six or seven months uh, when things don't start right at the beginning of next season. So I think £80 million is probably the threshold. And if someone doesn't come up to that level, then fine. But I think the fact that Manchester City and Manchester United are sniffing around, I think they will probably bid each other into that that territory. Um, I'm not sure how serious the City interest is, but obviously they are in the market for a central defender after Vince and company uh, left. So there is a gap there. Do I think he's worth 80 million? No. So on that basis, will I sell him if that was offered to me and I was in charge of making the decision? Yes, absolutely. He obviously wants to go and earn big money and play Champions League football, neither of which we can offer him in the same kind of, certainly not Champions League football, obviously, but not in the realms of what Manchester City could offer him in terms of football. But then United have got Europa League, but they're probably also willing to maybe double or more his current wages. So it's it's a no-brainer as a player, I guess, um, particularly one kind of reaching the peak of his career or what you'd expect would be the peak years of his career. Um, It it would be sad to see him go obviously, and particularly with Tielemans and Perez coming in, I would love to see what a fully motivated Maguire would add to the Leicester squad um, for a season, similar to what we got with Mares, although he wasn't fully motivated the whole time. It seemed to be as soon as the transfer window came around, his motivation uh, came back, but then it dropped off a cliff when um, the the possibility of him getting a move for a few months uh, was was impossible because of the dates. Um, So, yeah, I think he will I think he will leave, um, and I think it will be Manchester United. But I think we'll have got the kind of the threshold figure that we're looking for, which would be eighty million or thereabouts. Um, and I think that will be a kind of satisfactory outcome for for all parties. Manchester United get, get their player, they get to spend a bit money on a, a bit more money on their fledgling defence, um, and we get eighty million pounds, which pays for Tielemans and Perez and potentially a few more players to to come in on top as well. Um, we, we, we've not got I wouldn't say we've got the best of the best defensive options obviously Wes Morgan's kind of being phased out of the team now um, and I think he's going to move more into a coaching role to be honest um, as he sees out his, his, his new contract which is a year extension um, we've got Johnny Evans who has come in and you know been a real breath of fresh air in the defence I think him and Morgan made a fantastic partnership at the end of last season uh, but also there's Filip Benkovic who was on loan at, at uh, Celtic last season um, so Brendan Rodgers knows him well um, and there's sunchu as well who's the Turkish international who played a little bit um, in fits and starts last year um, still very raw, still very young I think he's 22 um, but we spent I think combined almost £30 million pounds on those two prospects so it's almost like we were expecting to be in this situation at this point um, so hopefully one of those players could step up and kind of not necessarily replace Maguire like for life. I think that's that's difficult to expect, but fill in a gap to the point where, you know, we, it wasn't looking like a massive gaping hole in the defence. Um, so, yeah, whether or not we'd go out and reinvest some of that Maguire money in a replacement or not, I don't know, or whether they've they've got faith in the current kind of players that are the squad players um, the, to step up. And, you know, at the end of the day, we bought them as young prospects A year ago or more so now's the time you'd expect them to kick on after a bit of first team experience and yeah hopefully the recruitment team have done their their due diligence in terms of finding players that we could turn into first team starters and then maybe be in this position again in a couple of years time
0: yeah and your recruiting team has obviously been doing fantastic work for the past few years so would not be surprised if you bring in somebody that kind of like you're saying comes in at a lower fee and then is worth at least double if not more than that Uh, Just not strikers. (laughs) Just (laughs) not strikers. Strikers seem to be worth
1: half The problem um, is you keep paying
0: a lot of money for your strikers. The key is spending a little amount of money.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And exactly that. And that's kind of what I think the two calculated gambles we took on Sunchu and um, on Benkovic were exactly that. They were in the region of, I think, 15, 16 million pounds, I think, for both. Um, And the idea was that if one of them comes off, then we could quadruple on money on yeah, on, on, on that one player and, and that would pay for both of them um twice over. So yeah, fingers crossed. We've seen a little bit of both. Obviously Bankovic has been out on land at Celtic, which doesn't harm his cause, I think, obviously, with Rogers coming in mm-hmm. and he'll have no, he'll know what he's all about. Uh, and hopefully pre-season will tell us maybe if, if Maguire does make a move it's sooner rather than later so that we get the opportunity to, to replace him if mm-hmm. if we need to.
0: Yeah, that'll certainly be interesting. You mentioned him and you mentioned Grey as potential levers. Is there anybody else that might depart the club before the uh, start of the season
1: I think it's I think it's basically Maguire now there was talk of uh, you know as there always is because finished... I know we didn't win that many games in the last six, for example, but particularly the second half of the year, uh, sorry, the second half of the season when Rodgers came in, we we really picked up. And I think that's thrust the likes of Ben Chilwell and James Madison into the spotlight. Uh, both of those, as you would expect for players of their age, um, and a club of Leicester stature were linked with bigger moves. Um, I think Madison was quite firmly linked with Tottenham as well um, for, for a little while. They but both were. I, Whoops. yeah. I can't. I can't see either of them leaving necessarily. Mostly because I think the only club that would have the money to pay what we would demand for Chilwell based on his contract length and stuff, would be Manchester City. And I think they have got bigger problems, namely centre back, um, but also kind of central midfield and and that kind of thing. That uh, they've got priorities there. I, I don't see them spending really, really big on on the left back. And they do um, on their, in their current back. situation. Yeah, exactly. Um so between you know between the current options that they've got, the likes of Delft, I know he's not a left back, but he can play there. And also if you're playing defense for Manchester City, let's be honest, how difficult of a job is it? They've had delf and uninjured an Mendy and um Zinchenko. And Zinchenko, who's essentially a winger, playing there for the last kind of year and they still won the Premier League. Uh they still won a domestic treble. So I don't think that's a huge kind of bone of contention for them. Um and that's the only club I can see stumping up the real, real big bucks for for Chilwell. Uh, Madison is an interesting one. I feel like he's a a player that looks really good on the highlights and I know he created a lot of chances but he does go missing a little bit in games. But I guess that's the kind of the youthful exuberance that you get with him. Sometimes he's not as consistent as you'd like him to be but then if he was he'd already be a top four player because he'd be creating more chances than you know anyone else in the division and someone would have snapped him up. So Again, quite have to hold on to those too and see if we can kind of carry on being a big part of their development. I don't see either of them being Leicester players for longer than a couple more years because I think the time will come on their current trajectory that they'll prove themselves worthy of a move elsewhere. Uh, but again, hopefully, we're in the same situation as Borussia, where as a selling club, it's nice not to be feel like you're being dictated to by the the quote unquote bigger team, and we're in a position to get top dollar for an asset that we've kind of nurtured. Um, and then we can go out and maybe start the cycle again, look to replace them. But yeah, I don't see any huge outgoings gotcha. apart from McGuire um, over the next month or so. All
0: right. Well, with kind of all that squad news in mind, what do you think the expectation is for Leicester next season? Now, you mentioned top six. I assume that isn't the well, maybe it's the goal this year, but maybe not the requirement for, for Rogers. Yeah, I think the
1: the line being towed will be a top ten finish again. Um, I think. Top six will be the aim from an internal perspective this year. Um, I'm trying to kind of keep myself in check a little bit. I think there are question marks over three of the established big six. I think Arsenal limped towards the end of a huge amount of money by the looks of it to reinvest in their squad. So you have to wonder where that improvement is necessarily going to. It's going to be working with the same group of players, uh, in all likelihood. Uh, Manchester United are a basket case um, both on and off the field we don't know who the, you can't say for any certainty that, that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be there at Christmas and New Year um, so there's another change of manager potentially in the offing there and again their, their issues, kind of behind the scenes, um, with with key players, doesn't fill me with confidence. You've also got the kind of ongoing De Gea situation as well. And if he starts throwing in performances like he did at the latter half of last season, where you know his form starts to dip, they're in real trouble because they're going to concede goals left, right, and centre. And Chelsea as well, obviously taking on Frank Lampard is a fantastic story. He's a one-year rookie manager essentially with, with no a Derby County team. With no income in signings bar Kovacic and um, Pulisic, who Mm. obviously they were able to to sign. Um, Anyway, they've also sold their best player in Hazard. Um, And again, they're not going to be able to move to replace him. He's going to have to call on the the young prospects, two of which are carrying long-term injuries in Ruben his cheek uh, and the other player whose name is escaping me. um, Tom Hudson-Odoi? Any of those are kind of a surefire thing for top six. So I think, given the doubts over the three of those clubs, I expect Tottenham, Liverpool, and Manchester City to kind of be the top three. Um, especially now Tottenham are established at their ground. I think there's another step forward from them uh, to come this season, particularly as they've started spending money, which is a rarity <laughs> for Tottenham no, in the last no couple deal. of years. So that I think I think they're I think they're kind of definitely third place but I think they could push the kind of traditional development um mm-hmm. third down to sixth, fourth down to six I think there's a real chance for someone else to steal in there i I think my money probably would have been on wolves had they not got into the Europa League because mm-hmm. I think as much as their fan base are going to be hugely excited about a European adventure and fair enough like that's going to be brilliant uh particularly kind of after the years that they spend outside the Premier League to bounce back and go straight into a, a European competition the next season is fantastic but We've seen what impact that has, that Thursday, Sunday turnaround on teams. And as much as their squad is filled with super talented players, and I'm sure Uncle George will have several more of them arrive at Bolognese uh, in the next few weeks to bolster their chances, I just feel like that might be handicap enough for someone else to kind of be the leading challenger. And obviously, I think that probably leaves Everton and and Leicester. Um, So hopefully we can hold on to Maguire uh, and, and go forward with that because I think him leaving would be a huge dent to kind of the top six ambition. But even if he left, hopefully we're, we're able to hit the ground running. I think we'll, we we would be in with a real shout. It's an outside chance, but I, I really think there's an opportunity for someone to break into that top six, given mm. all the question marks over kind of half of those teams. Um, and I don't think that, you know, it's not a huge reach to suggest that Chelsea, Arsenal and particularly Manchester United could have a, a kind of down year this year.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd be a little surprised if you sold Maguire to a challenger for
1: a top six spot. But um, <laughs> think, yeah, uh, they're a top six think... challenger with they're a challenger with 80 million to burn. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, having seeing them spend 50 million on Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who is a fantastic prospect, but he's essentially a player with much less top-flight experience under his belt than Maguire. Yeah. 80000000 million doesn't seem out of the picture when you consider their their kind of relative careers at the moment.
0: Agreed. And I do agree with your overall um, idea that, that the top six can... There's probably a slot there this year, a unique slot with both United and Chelsea. I'm kind of facing issues at the moment. But, you know, this is football. We could all be wrong and one of them somehow wins
1: the title. Oh, definitely. I mean, we could be here and Leicester could finish ninth again um, and we yep. could be saying the same thing over again. But again, I don't think that would be a failure. I also right. think we're going to take the Cups a bit more seriously this year because that has been a huge bone of contention with our fan base, the fact that we've reached uh, quarterfinals twice in the in the Carabao Cup the last two years played Manchester City at home both times and lost both times having fielded rotated lineups I think we lost some penalties both years didn't we so you know it's a real um, bugbear for the fans that we've not taken the chance of domestic silverware a bit more seriously and I know that's often a thing that's levelled at clubs that don't have a chance of winning the league that the fans would like to see a bit or that aren't going to be relegated they want to see a bit more from the, the cup runs but mm-hmm. hopefully rogers takes that on board because it was a real stick to beat puel with when things weren't going right um so hopefully you know the the, the ownership have taken taken stock of that and i'm sure they'd love you know a bit more domestic silverware um, mm-hmm. to go in the cabinet who doesn't want a cup run so yeah fingers crossed
0: yeah, well, certainly best of luck with that this season. That'll do it for us right now, though. If you want to tell the folks where they can find you, now would be a good time.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'm on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets, and I am the head of content marketing for a company called The Zone. so a lot of the stuff that I do is uh, is betting and football-related. So if that's your thing, then check us out on, uh, on Goal.com and Stockway.com as well.
0: Awesome. Well, Jim, an absolute pleasure as always. I'm sure we'll speak soon.